Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today are Tim Foss, Mickey Turner, and Dave Clark. How is everyone doing today? Doing pretty well. Yeah, doing good. Uh, so the Sounders are, I promise Dave is here. Uh, the, Sounders are, <laughs> the, the Sounders are coming off a, uh, I, there's no other way to put it. it it's a historic three-game road trip. Uh, they were the first team to ever win three road games in a seven-day span in MLS history. Uh, this was actually the first time the Sounders had even gone on a seven-day road, uh, three played three games in seven days, whether home or away. Uh, it doesn't happen that often in MLS, but you would have to go all the way back to 2005, actually, uh, to find the last time that a MLS team won three road games in an eight-day span. And I don't know uh, how many nine-game spans, but it's it, point being, it's a lot of games to play in a very small window. The Sounders did it while playing their biggest rival, uh, playing in a city they hadn't won in six years and against the Columbus, uh, against the defending MLS Cup champions. Uh, they, they traveled something like 2,000 miles. It was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, they probably had one or two days of training. I think they only had two days of training in between all those games. Pretty amazing uh, accomplishment, especially when you consider they had 19 different starters, six different goal scorers. Just, I mean... You, you kind of run out of statistical ways to explain how impressive this is. What do you think about it from a non-statistical perspective? Uh, I mean, I'll start with that just because I'm the non-stats guy. But yeah, it was, I think anybody would have taken six or seven points oh, uh, yeah. at any point during that week. And, you know, I think prior to, you know, when they were coming off their their slide at home, you were looking at this weekend, you were like, geez, if they can just get one win out of the three, um, you would be satisfied to come back and you try to regroup against Portland at home and then, you know, go for the stretch run. And obviously they did well more than that. It was just an incredible performance. Uh, as you say, I think the most important, impressive thing for me is just the, you know, they did not have a lot of training they could do. Uh, the fixture congestion was just incredible. The limited tr- uh, practice days to travel. Um, and then the squad rotation, um, which I think what has what has served them now well is what they had to go through earlier in the summer when they were playing a lot of, of the kids um, doing the hardship call up thing. And that just got a lot of people a lot of playing time. And now you see the fruits of, of that labor. And it was certainly uh, laborious uh, to, I'm sure, play and also to watch. And now you come in, you get you get all three, and then you're now 
you know, solidified at the top of the Western Conference. Because I think that was the other worrying thing is if they really had, uh, you know, kicked it and not done well on this trip, you could have seen them in third or fourth place. And then, you know, a team like Colorado with games in hand, they're still in, a, you know, Colorado's still in a position to beat Project Sounders if they happen to win their two games. Uh, whether that's likely or not is another issue. But still, the fact is there that they were in a position, had they not, taking care of business uh, to have not only given up the, uh, the top seed, but be kind of fighting for, uh, you know, for third or fourth place. So uh, just all the way around, uh, they really set themselves up well for the stretch run um, better than I think anybody uh, could have imagined. It's interesting because oftentimes on those, uh, those extended road trips, the team decides to stay on the road, basically. Like you'll see them pick a hotel and, and train at a, university facility somewhere in one of the towns and they, in this case they, they, they kind of bounced back and forth uh, well, they came back to seattle between dallas and columbus no they didn't they came they, back to they came they came back not to not 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 to undermine the point you're making but they they came back after portland and then they stayed on the road after after dallas they flew from Dallas. They trained. They they flew from Dallas the next day to. They trained. I think a, a day in Dallas, and then they flew to Columbus. I thought I saw an off day. Uh, players off. Uh, I thought I saw on Thursday with them mentioning. Oh well, a less uh, important point then. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. I mean, I I think it it just underscores. It, it does underscore how you know it was a it was a tough it was a tough trip. Um, and I think that you're right. You know, Mickey, that was one of the things that we had talked about a little bit before where it wasn't like the Sounders, the Sounders for all, as well as they've played this year, they don't have a lot of room for error. You know, as it is, they're seven points behind the the revolution in the supporter shield standing, admittedly with a game in hand, but the revolution are playing out of their minds right now. And behind them, Sporting Kansas City, LA Galaxy, and Rapids are all, you know, pretty close to them in the Western Conference standings. If the Sounders had gone winless in this, in this run uh, they would have actually been behind the Rapids in the standings. Like they, like the Rapids are eight point they're in fourth place. They're eight points behind the Sounders with three games in hand. That would have been a pretty major problem for the Sounders. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just the, the swing from the three games prior to this road stand where, you know, they lost two and drew one at home to, then go on this three game run where there still is almost no margin of error for staying at or near the top of the West. And it, it's so funny to have felt like, Oh, they, you know, they got within reaching distance almost of new England. And then for them to catch them, they new England have to fall off. And it just doesn't seem like that's happening this year. Uh, A month ago, we thought that Seattle Sounders wouldn't fall off. Like Seattle was cruising <laughs> to the, the supporter shield, looking like the best team in the history of the league. And they proved that they were mortal with a poor three game homestand. And I have no doubts uh, that the New England Revolution um, are capable of farting for three straight games. Like it, every MLS team fails three games in a row at some point in their season, whether that was TFC during their records or LAFC during theirs or. Atlanta or Seattle in the past three bad games is is possible for any team no matter their quality in this league um I'm particularly with the revolution where their best player continues to be rehabbing 
in Spain. Like you seem you seem skeptical that he's rehabbing there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I think maybe more than than the uh, than the status of Carlos Keel, this is you know the Revolution haven't necessarily been going through a murderer's row of opponents lately. You know their their last one was against uh, Cincinnati. They beat DC. They had Toronto. These are all you know non playoff teams. Uh, you know you have to go back to the stretch of games where they were playing Nashville and Philadelphia back to back and. Those games they just won, you know, they went they went one on one and they they won one of them. Uh the one they won was two one. But now they have three in their two of their next three games against New York City FC. They play home and away. They have a, a road game against Philadelphia. So I think in the next three games, we're gonna learn a lot more about how good New England is. And you're right, you know, if the if they slip up, there's an entire it's entirely possible that the Sounders could, you know, we could be having a very different conversation uh, a couple of weeks from now when you know, the Sounders will be playing, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, the Sounders are going to play Minnesota at home, Minnesota at home. Yeah. No, is that right? Okay. September 11th. Yeah. So they'll play Minnesota Neo at home. Shoot. They'll play Minnesota at home and the Sounders and New England's going to be playing New York city at home. And, you know, depending on how these next two games go for the teams that could end up being a pretty telling weekend, but uh, what, what all do we, you know, let's look at this Columbus crew game. It was interesting afterward, Caleb Porter, uh, as he is wont to do went on kind of a, you know, a long, a long spiel about how the game played out exactly how they wanted to. We had them right where we wanted them on and on and on. And I felt like he sort of ignored the first 60 to 75 minutes of the game focused entirely on that stretch of, of time where new England was, I thought the better team for probably the five or 10 minutes around their goal and then conveniently ignored everything that happened after their goal. Uh, I thought the centers actually played not their best, but they thought they played well. I thought they had the game under control. I, you know, up until uh, that stretch of, of time when new England started to sort of like create some chances, I thought the Sounders were, were controlling the game. I thought they had the better chances. I thought they looked better. Uh, and I, in a lot of ways, I thought they did really well in this game. And I thought, you know, I was not, you know, if you had just told me, I wa- if you had watched the first half and then I saw the end result, I don't think I would have been surprised by the scoreline. I mean, I'm going to disagree with both you and Caleb Porter. I don't think either team played well in the first 60 minutes. Uh, that was a, the first half to 60 minutes were uh, not very eventful, uh, frantic, uh, poor flow through the midfield. Uh, not great opportunities. You know, the best opportunity was a set piece for Seattle that Yamar um, barely missed. Um, and outside of that, there wasn't a memorable moment for me in the first half. To me, Caleb saying that the first half went very well for them is uh, foolish. Uh, the, the crew's yeah. best elements were in fouling and getting called for it. Uh, Frankly, I, I don't want to rewatch the first half. I feel sorry for the people that do. Uh, the second half would be uh, be fine. Yeah, what I saw was, uh, you know, I think Nico Ladero struggled in the game. And yeah. I think that's a lot of what uh, ailed the Sounders as far as uh, midfield play in the first, you know, 45 to 60 minutes. But I agree that they were the better team 
up until the uh, about 10 minute mark uh, around when Columbus scored, when they definitely, you know, based on that, they deserved the goal because they were creating the chances and yeah. putting the Sounders on the pressure. But then after that, uh, you know, the momentum, the Sounders were able to rest the momentum back. And then obviously uh, right around the two goals that they scored, they were just fully in control of the game. Um, and yeah, they, they, they looked very, uh, very good. Their substitutions obviously paid off quite well. Um, and it was a, you know, again, a, overall a solid, if not spectacular performance. And I think a lot of that, again, had to do with, you know, you had Nico in the previous games coming off the bench against tired defenses and having a little bit more influence. And in this game, in his first start, uh, you could just tell that he still has a few more games before he gets really up to full fitness. Um, and so I think that is some obviously some, that's good news for Sounders fans. Because, uh, you know, in a game or two when he is, you know, up to full speed as a starter, then they're able to hopefully fully deploy uh, their full complement of attack and uh, and they should look really good. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a solid enough performance, um, but Porter, you know, he's, you know, singing that through, you know, his usual tinted glasses. It was funny that one of the reporters asked him, well, you know, you didn't have your first shot on goal until the 75th minute. And he's like, ah! Shots on goal. What? That's not a good stat. Uh, which, fair enough. It's it's not a great stat. But I did. I thought it was in this case kind of telling that they they hadn't really done much to 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 threaten the Sounders. Uh, I one of the other interesting tactical tweaks in this one was I don't know if it was right at halftime or if it was shortly after halftime, but Brian Schmetzer swapped Christian Roldan and Nico Ladero, and so Roldan was playing sort of as. Uh, a more for I, I I think you can almost when Christian Roldan is playing in the attacking band, I think the Sounders are essentially in a three four three because uh, he presses so high up and Ladero kind of dropped back deeper into the midfield and and I guess they were probably spending you know realistically Joe Paulo was maybe playing more as a as a number six by himself but I thought it was an interesting tweak in that uh, it was to me a little bit of an acknowledgement that Ladero didn't quite have his legs under him and he wasn't quite ready to to help the attack but it you know it speaks to his versatility that he's still able to help the team even when he's not at his best attacking but even just getting him those i don't know what it was 65 minutes i thought was really important because building up ladero's legs is going to be a huge part of what the sounders are able to do going forward yeah i feel like that move sort of felt like you know i I definitely agree. The Sounders didn't look like they were necessarily at their best through a lot of this game, but they, they really seemed to effectively limit Columbus's ability to play the way that they wanted to both in terms of, I mean, you look and the Sounders ended up finishing with almost 56% of possession, which is not what Columbus wants to have happen. The Sounders had definitely not at home. The Sounders had, I tallied it, but like five different players, five or seven players who had more touches than Darlington Nagby, which is absolutely not what Columbus wants to have happen. Um, And, you know, for all that shots on target is kind of a goofy metric, like Columbus wasn't creating danger through their shots, even the ones that weren't on target. They really struggled because of, I think because of the work that the defense put in to limit them once they got into the attacking third. 
Um, and that move to bring Ladero a little bit deeper seemed like taking a step from, okay, we limited what Columbus could do. Now let's see what more we can do to create our own chances. And, you know, then you make a few substitutions and it all works out. It's a kind of interesting with that tactical shift. And then we had two games here where the, the last minute heroics uh, changed the narrative. Um, both of them without Gonzalo Pineda on the bench, the, the person that the uh, fan base has insisted is responsible for all the second half comebacks and tactical adjustments. And yet um, here we are, uh, you know, without him, Brian Schmetzer manages to, to pull the right triggers and, and understand his team um, and do what, uh, Jeremiah has got the uh, the stats somewhere, but something like 19% of Schmetzer's uh, yeah. wins come come at the 80th minute or so. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in our, in the eternal way, uh, everyone, including all of us here, underestimate what Brian Schmetzer is capable of doing tactically. Um, and I, I think, you know, this past week, we've seen a, a little snippet that, um, you know, he, he might understand soccer really well. Yeah. The, the thing that I think is even more remarkable than, than the 19%. And that's, that is the number. Uh, if you include postseason wins, 19% of, of Schmetzer's wins, the winner has come in the 80th minute or later. But what's even crazier is if you consider the Sounders are plus 38 points, uh, meaning points they've gained and points they've dropped after the, after the 80th minute. Uh, that's a, pretty you know that's pretty remarkable you spread that out over six seasons you know you're talking about eight seven eight points every year the sounders are uh netting after the 80th minute which i don't know i don't i i can't i don't have my numbers and i don't know how every other coach in the league pencils out but uh there's something the sounders are doing right at the end of matches i think and uh, it's just 30 more coaches i think you can do it right exactly right exactly uh i'll have to get some of my statistic wizard friends to to find to like do some automated tallying of that one. But I, I thought that was a, that was a pretty cool little stat there. Uh, but one of those players that came off the bench and has been pretty remarkable, uh, especially this week is Jimmy Madranda, who it's, you know, it's, it's worth remembering around this time last year, uh, the Sounders traded Hundwala Buana to Nashville uh, for $250,000 in allocation money. And, oh, here's Jimmy Madranda, by the way. Uh, my understanding is Madranda was not necessarily a player the Sounders were targeting in that move, but it was a player that, you know, they were presented kind of a suite of players that they could uh, they could bring over to sort of like make that trade balance out. And uh, Madranda was the one that was most intriguing to them. Uh, Madranda hadn't played essentially for two years. Uh, he, he had been at one point very good for Sporting Kansas City, but even if you take the allocation money out of the equation, the centers are coming looking way ahead in this trade. Uh, you know, Madranda has been, you know, hasn't, I, I think there's, it's an interesting discussion, I think, between him starting and Smith starting, but Madranda has been absolutely spectacular. And this week was a great showcase, I think, of how spectacular he's been. He had the goal against uh, Portland to start it off, and then he had both assists in this one. Yeah, what an incredible uh, trade that has obviously turned out to be. And as you say, whether 
they really were after him um, or not. It uh, doesn't sound like that's the case, but uh, hindsight being 2020, uh, they, they certainly look uh, like geniuses for, for pulling that one off for a player who didn't want to be here anymore. And, and Walt Buana uh, uh, felt that his uh, path to starting minutes uh, uh, has, uh, was blocked. Um, hasn't really gotten as, you know, probably as much as he would have liked in Nashville, but, you know, he'll just have to kind of deal with that. But back to, you know, Madranda, yeah, he, his skill set is certainly something that the Sounders, uh, you know, you know, coveted or they needed. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's got some pace. Uh, he's, he's a physical player. Uh, he's got obviously got a, a cannon for a left foot uh, shot and his assist numbers are you know, pretty uh, solid this year. And that's probably uh four I think he's probably got at this point I know he had one uh early in the season um and then uh you know it, it kind of went dry for a little bit there but just yeah what a, a fantastic trade uh for them and he's been everything they could have wanted uh you know sometimes those trades you're you're taking someone who uh is a bit, a bit damaged goods I guess for lack of a better word um based on his injury history and you take some time to potentially uh see what you can do to rehab his career and it's and it's clearly worked uh out for them and you know the the platoon they have going with uh between he and Smith seems to be working each you know they basically alternate starts and go 60 minutes and then the other one comes in and gets a chance to run at tired defenses so it's a good platoon they've got going um i know some fans probably would like to just see matran to start all the games uh but what they seem to be doing right now uh seems to be working well for them so uh i'd expect you'll see that uh for most of the rest of the year um and it you know hopefully it continues to work well, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but apparently Madranda was only credited with one assist. Uh, I I thought he I was I think it was the oh, LA game. It was the LA game that he got he got that assist, and then he only got one assist. He only got credited with one assist yesterday. Uh, and I to be fair, Eli Room did get a hand on the on the ball that uh, Javi Ariaga ended up scoring, but it was such a good ball. I know originally. Madrana had been given an assist on it, but apparently the scorers thought better of it and took it away. But we know in our hearts what he did. Uh, so I, I, I apologize for misstating that that uh, he had two assists yesterday. But he's been, I think he's been really good. And, and it's been, you know, I actually think there might be some validity to the idea that the Sounders are better served when Brad Smith is starting and Jimmy Madrana is coming off the bench. And it's not, and it's it's different than like, a center back situation where you basically are saying like, okay, whoever your starter is, is probably going to go 90 minutes. In this case, I think you can make a, you can, you can make a, a fair assessment that the 60 30 split is working really well. And then on these busy weeks, you can let, you know, you, you flop them who starts when, but you know, I'm still intrigued by Brad Smith's potential to potentially, you know, leak link link up with guys like Nico Ladero who we haven't seen him play with almost at all this year, other than this week. And so I, I, I do think it, the jury is still out on who is clearly the best starter, but Ma- either way, Madranda has been an absolute revelation, whether he's coming off the bench or starting uh, the, the other person who I was really obviously happy for, for both selfish and, uh, and, you know, practical reasons was Will Bruin finally getting his first goal of the season. He had, we thought he had scored against Dallas just barely ruled offside, but this one was just a class finish from him. Uh, he was joking that he doesn't, he's not sure he's ever curled in a shot quite like that 
uh, in his career. I don't know if that's that's true, but I, w- the thing I thought was most remarkable about it is he had so much time he was able to stop the ball and then basically just shape his shot into the inside the far post. Uh, that feels like a big one, though. If they can get Will Bruin scoring even, you know, every few games, you know, if they can just get him on any type of role at all where he's a regular scorer, that would be a huge deal for this team. I have to feel like that scoring that particular type of goal for a guy who, you know, whether it was a confidence thing or he was snake bitten or whatever, like I am sure that at some point it starts to wear on you and you just feel like, well, I, I think especially after that Dallas goal where it's just sort of like, what can you do? Like, I just can't score a goal. Mm -hmm. And then to have one like his, this weekend where one, it continues the trend of absolute galazos from Sounders players, but that he did get it. He had the time to take a touch, to be so calm inside the box, pick out his spot and curl it in around the goalkeeper. Like that just has to be such a boost of confidence for him. And so I imagine reassuring just like, yeah, he's still a good player. Like that didn't go away. He can still do it. Every player says, like forward says that, you know, I just want to get wins. And so they put in the hard work, but no <laughs> forward actually wants to be the, the guy who's like working hard and not scoring, you know, absolutely. Nelson Hato Valdez did a great job with Seattle, but if you got him to be candid, he'd be like, yeah, that wasn't as good as I'm supposed to be. And if Will Bruin would tell someone candidly, maybe on his podcast, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know is he satisfied no he wants to score goals and win like he likes both of those things right he didn't want to score goals he would have never been a forward like that's just part of the nature like they love that stuff so um hopefully this ignites one of those goals goals in bunches like that's the cliche and hopefully it's uh it's his turn i will say he, he seems to have had a genuinely good attitude about this you know one of the things he said yesterday or saturday that struck me was uh, you know, he was joking about how he had been playing on the wing and playing some as a 10 and doing all these things and how maybe what confused the crew was that, you know, they didn't know how to defend him coming off the wing because he didn't know how to come off the wing. Uh, but but he did kind of in a more, I think, more honestly, like he was like, I wouldn't have it any other way in terms of like being forced to move around and learn new tricks. And I do think that his game has become more nuanced uh, in the since he's been here. And especially this year, he's been asked to just do a lot of things. And he's I think he's done a lot of things well that weren't goal scoring. But you're absolutely right. If he's not scoring, I think he's not feeling as good about himself as he, you know, he would like to. Because I don't think any 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 forward, so much of their confidence is based on how often they they get to celebrate those goals. And you can see it the way he celebrated back in against the Dallas. You could see it, especially when he when he celebrated this one. That that's what he's here for. That's what he's he's here to score goals. Obviously, he wants to win, but when, scoring goals is going to be huge. And I think that the Sounders had six goal scorers during this streak. In that sense, was also important because Raúl Ruiz Diaz has been great. You know, he he was great during this trip. He's got fourteen goals. He scored three goals during this this road trip. But they need someone else to step up and 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 carry some of that load. You know, Freddie Montero is up to six goals, but he's not he's not necessarily even a regular starter for the Sounders right now. 
And they, they really need to get, I think, someone else going. Uh, they need to know that they can get goals from someone else other than Raul Ruiz. Yeah, you got to figure that teams you know, coming down the stretch are just going to really focus on Rui Diaz to, uh, you know, potentially the exclusion of some other players on the field uh, because he's so dangerous. And especially in the playoffs, when things get tight, uh, you really want to try to take away uh, the, you know, the, the top score and make teams beat you in different ways. And yeah. And so that's where I think Bruin can really become a, uh, a major factor for the Sounders, uh, whether or not he's starting. Cause as we all uh, remember, this was supposed to be a two forward setup uh, from the team um, when the, when the season started and, and, you know, for one reason or another, they've, they've moved away from that. So whether Bruin is, is starting at some point with Rui Diaz uh, or he's coming, uh, taking a spot start or uh, in the playoffs, if they're chasing a goal for some reason, uh, they need that, that second score um, who's going to get you uh, double digit goals uh, to, to be available and threatening and on, and informed. So uh, for all those reasons, uh, it was a massive goal for, for Will. And obviously we're, uh, we're happy for him on a personal level based on his frustrations, but for the team, they just, they, they need him to be able to put the ball in the back of the net on a fairly consistent basis. So Dave, I'm curious, I, I think you might be in a, in the best position to answer this one, but how similar would it be? Like Based on how you've seen the defiance play, would it? Do you think it's it's realistic to think that the Sounders might try using Rui Diaz, Montero, and Bruin in more of a three-four-three? Three? Yeah, I think that you could do it with them. Uh, calling it a three-four-three, three, you know, Montero would be the, the the big debate. Then is what do you do with the two central midfielders? Because you have to sit one of Christian, Jao Paulo, or Nico to get Freddie Will and and Raul on the field at the same time. So that's where my doubt comes from. But one of the fun things with the the three forwards with how they're used with defiance is depending on who it is, one might sit underneath and the other might be a wide forward or even a winger. And it just depends on, on who the player is. And so there's some space for that. It's similar in some ways to how Siggy was going to try with the four forwards back when he thought he was going to have Clint Dempsey, Obafemi Martins, Nelson Hato Vadodez, and Jordan Morris all at the same time. Remember, that was supposed to be a three forward set with three yeah. very narrow forwards. And you can do that with, with those, those players. Again, the main issue is uh, the central midfield all of a sudden gets weaker. And I don't that's valid. Like you're chasing, you need a goal late and you've been dominating possession, but not scoring. Go with the three forward set. Um, and it makes sense at times, but I don't think we'll see it start very often just because um, right now those three central midfielders are so, all better and more important to the team. No offense to Freddie and Will, but then Freddie and Will. Right. Well, and I think that that's fair. I will say the one thing that makes me think that maybe you, it's not your first choice lineup, but I think that gives it some potential is that both Montero and Bruin have been pretty good in sort of like those spaces where you'd normally see a number 10. And, uh, and so they might not be like, I don't think they're going to play super as like wide forwards. They might sit more kind of like narrow as a, in that sort of set, but it's an, it's an interesting, the thing that I think has been really interesting about what the Sounders have been able to do over these last couple of months is sort of tweak formations and use players in different positions. And that was also kind of what Will was alluding to about, you know, not having it any other way is, 
is, you know, you've seen Freddie Montero play essentially as a 10. You've seen you've seen Roldan, you know, play as a wide forward. You've seen him play centrally. Obviously you've seen him play as a, as a, I'm sure I assume we, I think we've seen him play as a wing back this year, but we've seen a lot of positional fluidity among the Sounders, especially in the, you know, the, the forward, uh, the forward seven, I guess you can call them. And it's an interesting, it, it creates some interesting matchup advantages because they can do things at the end of games and ask players to do things that you might not be able to do with a lot of other teams. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny to think that they could go to a three, four, three, if they're chasing a goal at the end of the game and run a three, four, three that involves Freddie will and Raul up top without really like, I feel like any other previous season doing that, they've sacrificed some solidity in the back. But if you go to that and it's basically, you can just have those three stuff the box basically and have the wingbacks hitting balls into the penalty area. Like with those three guys, that's a legitimately dangerous option against most teams. And you still have your pick of say Christian and Joe Paolo in front of the three center backs. Like that's still a tough team to break down. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure Schmetzer loves being able to have the option of going to a three forward setup that still isn't going to get beat defensively. Well, turning the page a little bit and, you know, we're going to probably talk a lot about Portland uh, later in the week, but we may as well get some some early thoughts. Uh, Portland is in a bit of a bad place right now. Not only are they coming off that 6-2 loss to the Sounders at the beginning of the week, uh, I, I think they tied Sporting Kansas City midweek, and then they lost 3-1 at, at, at Austin. Uh, they are in a bit of a bad place. Uh, this is on paper a game the Sounders absolutely should win. They should probably dominate. But we've seen this before this year where the Sounders come in, especially at home again as heavy favorites. And it seems like there's almost an inverse relationship between the Sounders performance and how favored they are uh, coming into the game. They've not played as favorites very well. Is that, is that a statistical anomaly or is this something we might be, should be a little worried about uh, heading into Sunday? Uh, I'd be a little worried about it. Um, and that says nothing of the fact that the the team, uh, the road team in this rivalry has done very well on the road yes. uh, over the past, uh, you know, three years, uh, you know. So, yeah, for sure. And as you say, Portland is, you know, they're in a terrible spot. They're, you know, rivaling the crew for free fall uh, at this point. And, yeah, you got to think that they're going to come in and it's either going to be a bunker job or they're just going to press the Sounders into oblivion and try to get an early goal um, and take the crowd out of the game. Um, we're obviously expecting a huge crowd. We'll probably talk a little bit about that later in the week too. But yeah, I think, you know, the Sounders record at home has not been great. Well, I should say it's, it's been okay. Uh, it's not been up to what they probably, uh, their standards are, let's put it that way, because they still yeah. have a, yeah, a positive uh, home record. Uh, so I don't want to overstate how, uh, that they're bad at home or anything like that. But I think it's, it's fair to say that uh, they're 
a little disappointed with the home results uh, this year overall. Um, and, you know, teams like Austin uh, came in and basically bunkered. They were probably outplayed a little bit in the Atlanta game, um, another game that uh, they were favored um, and before they gave up a late uh, penalty. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I think the messaging this week will, will mirror or will reflect that and Smetzer will get them up for this game. They're going to know that Portland is going to be up for revenge in this matchup and they will have it in their minds that, yeah, they haven't been as great at home as they'd want to be. And so I think I'll have them up for the game for sure. Um, and so at that point, it's really a matter of execution, especially given the fact that we expect that they should have basically their first choice starting lineup um, and, and possibly including Stephen Fry. Um, although who, who knows if they want to start him, assuming he's available, uh, if they want to start him in, a, in a, his first game back in a, a big match like that. But, you know, they got to get him in at some point um, here uh, sooner rather than later. So uh, all of that to say that, you know, they'll be ready for the game, um, but, you know, that's why they play the games, because uh, you don't know how it's going to look um, necessarily on paper. Yeah, I think you have to go all the way back to 2017, maybe, to find the last time the Sounders beat the Timbers at home, which is kind of a wild statistic when you think about the fact that they've won uh, four of their last five regular season games at Portland, Uh so it's been a it, the the rivalry has really been flipped on its head in terms of the home and away splits. But uh, what do, what do you think, Tim? Is what's your uh, would you like to see Stephen Fry uh, get back between the pipes in this one, if possible? You know, I was just I was thinking about that and the fact that this is Nico's first game back in front of a big crowd, right? So he hadn't made a home appearance. Yeah. Well, he's yeah, he played in League's Cup. He played in League's Cup. I don't know if you can – and he played against the LA Galaxy early in the season. But this is but by think, far the biggest crowd he's played in front of. Right. I think this is really going to be something of a homecoming for him. I think the the energy of a Stefan Fry return on top of – it's going to be absolutely packed. This is going to feel like – an event and like an important game. And as much as, you know, this rivalry has done weird things to home and away splits, uh, the games can be super unpredictable. And yeah, the Sounders have disappointed some in games where they should have been favored. But I think this game is more than those other games going to feel something like a playoff game. Um, and we've seen that, you know, Raul Rui Diaz turns it on when it matters. Um, Nico Ladero loves an important game. Uh, I think, I think this could be something of a showcase game for the Sounders. And for those reasons, I feel a little bit more confident going into this one. Um, but also maybe that's just hopeful, wishful thinking that I don't want to see a, a stadium that stayed for a doubleheader leave home sad. <laughs> This has a, a one zero own goal uh, in like the 53rd minute uh, written all over it. Um, but no, uh, ser seriously. I, yeah. It's just, you know, these types of games sometimes don't live up to the hype. Uh, and sometimes you do get those, you know, kind of one zero grinded out affairs um, where the Sounders and Timbers for the most part, uh, you know, they give you an, an entertaining game. You do get the odd, uh, you know, one zero game here and there, but you know, usually it's something that you're going to remember. 
And so um, Spencer will have them wanting to entertain the crowd, but I think I'll also want them to try to get on top of the Timbers early and get that early goal to get the crowd really into it. Um, and then, you know, maybe you get the second and the third. And then at that point, you know, the Timbers based on where they are likely aren't going to come back from that. Um, but it certainly, if, if the longer they leave them in the games, uh, you know, the, the more nervous everyone gets. And then, you know, you, that's when you get, you know, that, that, that odd goal that, you know, causes a one, uh, one, nothing loss and sends everybody home unhappy, but he'll have them up for the game for sure. And so, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. So Dave, I know uh, we'll probably talk more about this later in the week, but is there anything in particular outside of the game that you're looking forward to uh, about Sunday? I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a cool, but also odd experience. I mean, we've been wanting a doubleheader for so long uh, featuring both of these teams and to have it come in these uh, odd pandemic uh, Delta variant circumstances uh, might mute what otherwise could be an extraordinary night. But, you know, to be honest, it, we're going to have uh, four hours of soccer and then several hours of extraneous events and all kinds of stuff to do almost, almost entirely outdoors um, in what might be, you know, the last decent summer weekend uh, of the year. So to me, it's just, a, it's going to be an awesome time to, to celebrate Puget Sound soccer at um, all professional versions of it. Not just, uh, not just a Sounders versus Timbers, but for me, I'm, I'm just stoked to, to be able to, uh, to see a, a team that, you know, I once worked for, uh, get put up and elevated on such a grand stage. Yeah. I think that this is a huge potential of huge opportunity for everyone involved to sort of like lift up the, the Seattle soccer community in a way that in a, in a high profile way that we haven't really seen up until now. And it would be great if what we see from this game is enough to encourage this to be a regular thing. And, I, I think that there's, you know, the the more we get to see the rain, I think playing in Seattle proper, playing in front of a big crowd, like hopefully we will have uh, for the first game of this doubleheader, I, I think the better for everyone. Uh, this is uh, a huge opportunity. I, I realize that there are a lot of uh, personal reasons and health reasons that people might have for, for not coming, but I, I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that, you know, we can uh, do this safely and, and have a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, I think that's hopefully we, we come out of there with six points and it's a uh, and, you know, a lot of great memories. Right. <laughs> but uh, so that's probably a good place to end this one. I am Jeremiah O'Shan signing off uh, on behalf of Tim Foss, Mickey Turner and Dave Clark. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast and we will catch you next time.